Hello and welcome to another episode of Historical Underpinnings. We'll be continuing with our series on discussing and analysing the various historical influences that shape democratic and dictatorial institutions around the world. Today we'll be highlighting a rather poignant topic of the processes of decolonization and the interplay between democratic and autocratic political mindsets. As with previous episodes, we'll be going to focus upon two separate nations, today being Kenya and Chile, and deep diving into their decolonization histories. We'll uncover their decolonizing efforts and try to ascertain how this essentially directly influenced the trajectories of political regimes and dogmas of both nations. What we'll find is that there is a direct correlation between democratic intentions and decolonization. However, it is these decolonizing movements that are the causation of backsliding into autocratic regimes. We'll see that a power vacuum is essentially created by imperialist nations once they are ousted or leave a colonized nation that in turn disrupts any type of peaceful nation building. Democratic practices are the main intention of these decolonized independence movements, but there is a continual pattern of autocratic backsliding through this idea of a power vacuum. We're going to be joined by a special guest, Lulu Hamilton. Lulu brings with her a wealth of knowledge surrounding colonized nations' histories, and she'll be providing a depth of historical context for us of both Kenya and Chile this week. Hi, Lulu. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. It's great to be here. I'm excited to get stuck in. Excellent. So, Lulu, maybe we'll start with Chile first. What can you tell us about their independence movement? We've got to go right back to the 1800s for this one. That's right. To stick with the main topic of the episode, I think you'll mostly be focusing upon the mid-1900s. However, it's important to get a grasp on how it came about. Great point. Chilean independence uh, can be traced back, as you say, to the start of the 1800s, where Napoleon's grip on Europe had really taken a grip. His takeover of Spain and subsequent installation of his nephew onto the Spanish throne caused tension in the South American colonies. A newly installed local government called Junta, and by a large, declare a a new freely independent nation and decided to open free trade to the colony, which was previously closed by the Spanish colonists. Now that what's interesting is is that this declaration of free trade made by the uh, Junta, they made claims to having unalienable rights to achieve freedom and happiness, just like the American de- Declaration of Independence. It's clearly an early attempt to install democratic free will practices right from the very early beginnings of decolonization. Exactly. Uh, this naturally angered Spanish merchants in the surrounding colonies, namely Peru, who sought to reconquest Chile with the help of the Spanish. Uh, this resulted in a counterattack from Chile- Chilean military leaders who consequently were each vying for a position to be leaders of the new nation. Internal fighting ultimately led to the country's first leader, Bernardo O'Higgins, and his followers marching into Chile, while his opponents were fighting in Argentina amongst other independent other independence movement, defeating the Spanish royalists and declaring himself as a leader and installing a provisional legislation legislative government. And this is all before eighteen twenty, correct? That's right. O'Higgins wrote the official Chilean Declaration of Independence in February eighteen eighteen. I'd like to talk more about the election of Salvador Allende now and how that came to be. Could you talk a bit about his election as president and the subsequent autocratic movements that were seen there? 
Yeah, so Allende was elected in 1970 with a very a very slight majority of 36.6% of, of the vote. So Allende was par- a part of the Chilean Socialist Party called Popular, Popular Unity, and his initial campaign involved a program, as he called, in which he wanted to essentially streamline the election uh, process at a local, regional and national level and to create a new co- constitution under what Allende called the most demographic government in the history of the nation. What we saw during this period, however, was an ideologically driven push for state control over a large sector of industry in Chile, which created a large position to Allende and and produced a large deficit in government expenditure. Now this led to a coup in which Allende was killed and a new leader, Augusto Pinochet, came to power. At this point, Chile was under a total authoritarian regime with widespread violent oppression of political position and activists being either executed or exiled. Okay, so we've gone from independence from colonial powers to a democratic movement by Allende to ultimately a full-blown repressive autocratic regime. Okay, let's shift to Kenya now. Of course, so Kenya under British colonial rule was essentially already very authoritarian. There were strong restrictions on the level of political engagement the population could have. With the British seeing any form of local political organisations being formed as detrimental to the colony's stability, civil servants were expected to report to colonial authorities for any signs of insurrection or anti-colonial group activities. Wow, okay, even before any decolonisation was going on. Exactly. So this led to the formation of the Mau Mau Uprising, which was comprised of the anti-colonial group. The Mau Mau being formed, they aimed ultimately for political independence, but also stood for a complete liberation of all colonial exploitation, economically and socially. What came from that was a series of strikes and union rallies in, in, in around Kenya in 1951, endorsed by the Mau Mau, escalating quickly to a state of emergency coined by the British in 1952. The fighting, which ended in 1956, forced British to reevaluate the Kenyan colony, thus creating a transitional policy to transfer colonial power to the Kenyan people. Independence was granted on the 12th of December 1963, with Jomo Kenyatta as the country's first independent president. Okay, so what was seen after independence in a democratic or autocratic style of ruling? Kenyatta's rule leaned very heavily towards the autocratic stance. He ensured that opposition parties and figures were seen as revolutionary and were thus repressed and even met with violent means. Uh, Undemocratic means were taken to ensure Kenyatta's legislation was passed without opposition and any populist demonstrations were clamped down upon. People belonging to the Mau Mau uprising, which at, ta- at the time was contextualised as freedom fighters, were marginalised and not giving any land um, provisions or basically any type of state le- uh, provisions at all. With Kenyatta aiming- claiming to be the ultimate father of the Kenyan nation in order to feed his opposition and enhance the one-party state he had formed. Wow. Okay, Lulu. Thanks for joining us for this insight. No problems. Thanks for having me on. Okay, I'd like to discuss these two contexts into our broader topic of decolonization and how it influences and shapes political dichotomies. The notion that decolonized nations inevitably seek to install democratic institutions is apparent in both nations' leaders uh, expressing a desire to franchise their citizens. 
Kenyatta in a 1952 speech says, we as Africans must first achieve the right to elect our own representatives and that this is the first principle of democracy. Similarly, Chilean President Allende comments at his speech to the United Nations in 1972 that the Chilean nation prides itself in its deep-rooted democratic values and exercises complete freedoms for all citizens with universal suffrage. Both nations have strived to create democratic ideals, but it certainly did not end up anything like this. It's here that we introduced to this idea of a power vacuum, in which colonising nations leave no provisions for their departing colony to create a sustainable political base in which to foster democracy. Spencer writes that colonists leave unimaginable plans for nation building and leave no economic or stable political institutions that could create democratic policies. Essentially, the new decolonized state is left underdeveloped and left to rule with its own issues, creating this power vacuum which is susceptible to autocratic rule. Even as the process of decolonization and independence is underway, as Spencer argues also, the undeveloped political system is immediately skewed to facilitate undemocratic power struggles and is difficult to break free from. Chile, who Lubman writes, was considered in modern literature as a stalwart maker of democratic practices prior to Pinochet's regime, which was not the case, ultimately. The independence from Spain, in essence, caused a civil war to decide who would govern the new nation, which, as Lubman writes, created a system of oligarchies and an untouched constitution from 1833, which questioned the legitimacy of the ruling government. Prior to 1925 in Chile, there was seen military and police crackdowns on labour and student demonstrations, much like Kenya, which again provides us with a clear link to autocratic intentions. The power vacuum created by the Spanish in Chile leaves Loveman to argue that Pinochet's aggressive, violent repression was inevitable, brought on by years of autocratic institutions, despite Allende's election and Marxist ideals. In reference to Kenya, we see a very similar story. Kenyans who were excluded from participating in higher-up colonial government positions in order for British colonial powers to maintain their lucrative hold on economic and political structures. In Mukum Mubaku's view, this meant the Kenyans, and certainly the wider colonial African populations too, were not only left with an underdeveloped political structure once independence had been achieved, but also were left with a skewed perception that maintaining a tight stranglehold on political power structures was the only way to gain political autonomy. Shirley also argues that British colonial governing through indirect rule by using local chiefs to administer lower-down government set to break down tribal governments and create new ethnic barriers which were never present before colonial rule. Kenyans then saw the only way to ensure independent political power was to gain a stranglehold on higher-up government positions and thus rule from above with a tight grip. Hornsby, in his book, describes Kenyatta as a leader who was willing to compromise in return for power over Kenya and, in fact, had a genuine respect for his colonisers. He points out that the British led a swift exit from Kenya once independence had been achieved and had left a hefty land buyback scheme for the Kenyans to essentially deal with, which we can ascertain as already creating an unstable and underdeveloped economic and political platform from the colonizers. Well, we're coming up to the end of the episode for today, sadly. Through both of these examples of colonized nations, we've seen a clear example of dictatorships being influenced by decolonized efforts and structures. Both nations have attempted to employ democratic intentions and political frameworks, However, the idea of the power vacuum and instability left so frequently by departing colonizers is often the gateway for autocratic institutions. 
Decolonization is a necessary and important process to recognize the violent oppression caused by Europeans. Understanding the systematic, dictatorial, democratic fluidity in colonized nations is key to perceiving other political institutions around the globe. Thank you again to Lulu Hamilton for joining us today, and I'll see you next week for more historical underpinnings. Catch you then.